Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On today's episode, we're joined by April Alonzo. April is the co-founder of the award-winning Cicero Independiente, a bilingual news website and publication based in Cicero, Illinois. Hi, April. Hi, how's it going? Great. Cicero is a suburb of Chicago. It's distinct because it's a Latino-majority town. About 90% of its 80,000 residents identify as Hispanic. However, political leadership in the town is overwhelmingly white. The Independiente publishes weekly, with one of its primary purposes being government watchdog. It has been publishing since 2019. April, I want to start by talking about you first, and we'll get into uh, how you got to this point, basically. Can you tell us the story of what we call your journalism path? I went to Columbia College here in Chicago. I know I wanted to be in the journalism field, so I went to school for photography, and I didn't find my my like my concentration, which was photojournalism, till my senior year. Um, so that was pre- that was pretty later on in my like college in my college journey. Um, but after that, after I took those classes for photojournalism, or I, I had to take some in journalism as well. Um, it was like one or two around the ethics of journalism. From there, I wanted to gain more experience and tell people's stories through visuals. So I found internships and the first one I got, which I was, I was excited about because I was like, yeah, like I, I want to be working at a newspaper right out of uh, college for like a little bit. Um, that was at the Chicago Reader and it was for, it was for credit, which was nice. Um, so it, it, it checked off my, some of my credits for school and then I really liked it. Um, and, but then from there, so it was bittersweet because looking back, that's, that was like my first introduction to a newsroom and how a newsroom works. And that's what also went on. I realized that the, a lot of times, like I was just getting sent to places and not staying there to, you know, in depth, tell a story, like just take the photos, leave. Like it wasn't much engagement with people. Um, so from there, I wanted to focus more on the Latinx community. Um, so from there, I found an internship for, it was a podcast called La Verdad Podcast. It was like in the attic of someone's house, but it was good. Like they had like a good um, <laughs> audience and they had like a good um, community of people that would listen to it. It was just talking about culture. But I also wanted a way to find solutions to issues that were affecting the Latinx community. Um, so this was all three years. It wasn't like back to back where I had these um, ex- like um, internship experiences. So there was like a few years where like it would come. It would, yeah, it was like every like year or so. This was like in a range of like five to six years. And throughout, like throughout there, I had a job or I still have that job because I have it for like sustain my 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 living um at um a photo company that's at navy pier so that's what i do too to maintain everything else so after the internship at the podcast i got a multimedia fellowship at the chicago reporter and the chicago reporter um for those that don't know they investigate race and poverty in the south and west sides of chicago and they they focus on censoring the people in the neighborhoods that they're reporting on so that's what i liked too about that and that and that experience, but also too, I was this was like more like my internal battle where I, where I was thinking, well, what about my community? Like, why do I keep going to Chicago for these things? Like, what about what if I can bring it back to Cicero? And I also met another fellow that used to have that same multimedia fellowship that I had at the Chicago Reporter. His name is Max Herman, so he put me in contact 
with Irene, which is the other co-founder for Cicero Independiente, um, because he was at a fellowship with City Brew. And yeah, which is, um, yeah, also our fiscal sponsor and we draw a lot of inspiration from them. But yeah, so that's how I met Irene um, because Max Herman knew that she had this project idea of reaching community needs in Cicero. So he, um, we met up and that's from there, that's how it started. All right, so to fill in some blanks, um, how did your upbringing impact uh, your journalism interest and how you went about doing your work? I think looking back when I went to school, I don't think it, like looking back, like when I, like at that age, I, was, I didn't think it impacted me, but now, not that it impacted the journalism, well, I guess it did, it did in a way, I'm a, yeah, it did, because um, I wanted to do like storytelling and share like access to information and news in a way that like my family can, like my dad can consume it the way my dad can, like he can be a part of it and it could be made for him and other people like him who are immigrants and don't speak English. So that way they can be involved in, in like what's going on and where they live and not be left out of all of that. Um, so that's how I think it impacted it. So we had um, Bettina Chang of City Bureau on as a guest previously. Uh, and you mentioned that they're both a physical sponsor and um, people in your group have done things for them, what they call their mm -hmm. documenters program. Uh, I'm curious what your experience in that was like. I remember being nervous too, because <laughs> I had to go to local meetings, but it was a good experience. And that's why I was part of the documenters program because um, this was at the beginning of, of the thing of, what I said was like my internal battle, like where I was going to different communities to like be more involved and not coming back to Cicero, but all of that was tight. So like I ended up coming back and bringing that back to Cicero. Um, but just that experience of engaging with people in the community, like these are real people and like being there and listening to them talk during board meetings. Um, and I remember like uh, it was my first experience, even though I took like a journalism class, I didn't like having that real experience of being there and taking notes during a meeting and like and and doing it live um, helped. And also, I remember the one instance that stuck out to me was when I had to go to it was a Logan Square Neighborhood Association and just hearing how like passionate the, the people in in that organization were about about housing and Logan Square, um, that was like, I just remember like listening to them being like, like kind of inspired and just like relating to them. Like, they, like they're really trying to create change here. So it sounds like all of this played a role in what you're doing uh, right now. And now you mentioned one of your co-founders, the other, uh, I believe, Ankur Singh. Um, the three of you have a common uh, bond of youth. Uh, and I think it's fascinating that three young people, uh, 30 years or younger, uh, are founding a, in this case, a Newsweekly uh, and a website uh, to cover what is, uh, I guess, somewhat of a, a, a challenging area to cover, to be government watchdogs. When you were formulating a plan to get the organization going, like, how did it all come together? Yeah, um, I think we, we all had different we all have like different, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Different reasons why we were interested in this. Like we all had different ties, but the common thing that we had was that we wanted to bring transparency and access to information into information in Cicero and have that be local. Um, 
Irene, she has organizing experience and that has been helpful with centering the community engagement in our work. Um, Encore's journalism background was like helpful in the beginning when we were trying to figure out how do we do this and publishing our first two articles. So Encore was um, a lot of help in that and, and kicking that off and starting it off. And with my background with photojournalism um, and also like I, my digital skill set, I, I helped us make the website and put that online and format our articles. And that's where it kicked off there. Um, Okay, a couple of the organization's values, you mentioned them, community rooted, you live there, demand transparency and accessibility from government, you're clearly doing that, value collaboration, we all have something to teach, and always bilingual. I want to touch mm -hmm. on that last one here, uh, that uh, your entire organization, if I'm not mistaken, is people of color, right? And, mm -hmm. and uh, bilingual is at the heart of what you do, and I'm just yeah. curious how that plays a role in, in what you do. Yes, we wanted to make it bilingual. Um, so that way, what the information we were putting out was for the main population here in Cicero and that it could be accessible. Um, especially in Cicero, there's a big lack of transparency and accessibility to information in English. So even more so for those that speak Spanish, like it's not accessible at all to them. Um, there are translations here, but there's no engagement in making sure that people in the community that are Spanish speakers our monolingual Spanish speakers have access to that information that's being put out. Um, so we wanted to make sure to not leave the Spanish speaking audience out if that was like our main goal to reach them. Um, in the beginning as, as well, like we always had the goal, this was before we, we put our, our first print edition, we had the goal that we wanted to do a print edition to reach those Spanish speakers that we're not going to reach online, um, to have more engagement with them. And then we hit that goal a year later. So that was that was great. And I noticed, I saw pictures, I think uh, they might've been like Facebook photos of someone uh, who was distributing the print edition. And I'm curious what the challenges are of doing the, the print version. Um, I think the challenges uh, would be more on planning, you know, finding someone to do our layout and, and figuring out um, a distribution. It got better. The first round, um, we didn't have a distribution map. And the second round, um, one of our contributing reporters worked on, on making a distribution map, which was really great and helpful. And we had volunteers come and the volunteers followed that map to distribute. Um, but the planning, I think the planning is, it's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, but distributing it from there out, it's, it's, I think that's the fun part and what, um, we enjoy like more engaging with the community and talking to people. Like uh, I don't know if you've noticed uh, if the one of the photos you saw it was Irene. Um, she was taking she took a photo of herself with the newspaper and she handed it to some um, a woman walking past and she was a Spanish speaker and then she introduced and she's like this is uh, our newspaper and then the woman asked if it's if it's about Cicero and she said yes it is and she's like okay then for my coffee. Um, it sounds better in Spanish but she's like para la café. <laughs> so she was going to take it and read it during her coffee drinking. <laughs> and that's an immediate impact. That's terrific. Yeah. All right. I mentioned uh, award-winning. The Institute for Nonprofit News awarded your organization the Breaking Barriers Award and the Insight Award for Expl Explanatory Journalism. This was for the 11-part series, Unrest in Cicero, How One Day Shook a Town. It's about the day of June 1st, 2020, a day of racial violence and civil unrest in the city. Two people died, 60 arrested. 
uh, black people were quite frankly being targeted by city residents uh, mm -hmm. just for being black. People yeah. were uh, claiming to be protecting businesses. Uh, people claiming to be protecting businesses were provoking, but also there were considerable tensions with police not doing enough to protect the black people in the city. You then covered the aftermath, which included Black Lives Matters protests and marches of support, as well as the, the funerals of uh, those who passed. A few points on your coverage, just that I'll, I'll make reference to. There's a frightening picture of state police officers guarding a white castle with, mm -hmm. uh, with guns. There's right. another of someone from the waist down who didn't want to be ID'd, who was holding a baseball bat, and another group of five masked men standing atop a dollar buster grocery store, keeping watch with assault weapons at their sides. Um, wow, that, that must have been um, something to, to try to cover. What uh, went into the coverage that your group did of that? Yeah, I think there wasn't the intent to go out there initially to report. Um, I think it was after we had like we had this this um, group text that, that was going back and forth of what was happening in Chicago. And for those that aren't um, that weren't here in Chicago during the unrest, after the mayor Lori Lightfoot raised the bridges in downtown Chicago, all the the protests went into the the like the neighboring in the neighborhoods, I went into the neighborhoods and from there, that was where there was a lot of racial tension in the neighborhoods. And it kind of gave us a glimpse of what would happen in Cicero after hearing what was going on in Little Village and on the neighboring um, Chicago neighborhoods. Um, so after a few people in the group and Cicero Independiente saw live streams in Cicero, um, they went out to kind of to step in by documenting what was happening. And I think that there was this feeling that we knew that, or on um, that, what was happening was going to get, what's, it, what's the word I'm looking for? Misconstrued or was going to be taken out of context. Um, so by documenting what was happening as we saw it happening was a way we can, you know, step in and, and provide our input. Um, yeah, and after the legacy media that was there only showed the day of what happened and like the violence that took place. Um, so they weren't there to stick around and show the healing efforts and like the aftermath of what took place after the unrest happened. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't reflective of what was happening in the communities that we were seeing. So um, we wanted to address the anti-blackness in, in the community through this, through the series. And we documented a whole week of what of the efforts that were taking place. There was cleaning cleanup efforts. There was um, marches to stand in solidarity with Black folks in the in the and that live in Cicero, and to also hold accountable the town and the actions that that they didn't take or that you know how they didn't step in and provide help for residents that for Black residents that live in Cicero and also. Um, black people that were coming in and out when we were going to Chicago or in Cicero. And I noticed too that besides doing news coverage, um, there was a piece that pointed out this was a case of history repeating itself with white residents mm -hmm. harassing blacks in the 1960s. There was a piece on how to talk about Black Lives Matter 
with people from other generations yes. other than yours because uh, yes. there's a generation gap that you had to deal with so it was it was uh, complete coverage what was your role in it my role in it um i was the i was more on the digital side so i was putting the website together um and i also went out on it was June 7th, the day, like the largest march that there ever was in, in Cicero, in the history of Cicero. I went out and took some photos there, but along with the other people on Cicero Independiente that were out that day. Um, but they did more of an on-the-ground reporting and like live tweeting of what was happening. And the staff, the people that are doing the reporting, for the most part, are volunteers, right? So this, in the beginning, we're a volunteer run, but uh, during that time, we're all contributing reporters. So they were all contributing reporters. Um, okay. So anyone... Uh, also, too, in that series, we had, like you mentioned, the the how this is history repeating itself. Those were opinion pieces, and we provided a stipend, not a stipend, but we paid uh, freelance rates for everyone that contributed. So, gotcha. way, so they were all contributing in it. What was the reaction to getting the award? We were happy. Yeah, we were excited. And also, like one thing to note too, there was also like um, the on the on the flip side of that. We were happy. Maybe just to say, yeah, we were we were excited for it, and it felt huge. And I know there was like a joke about it, like we're award-winning journalists. Can we say we're award-winning journalists now? That that was like something Irene had said. Um, but yeah, it was it was exciting. And well, I can tell you that that like that's partly how I found out about <laughs> about who you are um, because of INN uh, certainly. What was the reaction of the people in the town to the coverage that you did for for the unrest series? Yeah. It was mixed. It was mixed. Like there were, as you know, the Latinx community. There's a lot of anti-black racism in there that needs to be addressed. And even though we 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 addressed it in part with the series, the comments that we were getting on Facebook um, were horrible about it. But it just dealing with like racist remarks, and um, and just so like about the like the town. They're like they don't really their point of view of how they responded was different than how we documented it. We didn't actually have an idea on how this would look like. Well, we just documented it for that week. And after that week, we came together and tried to see how this could work and how we can put this all together. And that's when we asked for community submissions. And, and we took inspiration from the timeline that Southside Weekly did on the events that took place in Chicago. So we had uh, their help to put that together and um, Bia, um, who did our, our our layout, also did it for the Southside Weekly timeline. And without Bia's help, we wouldn't have been able to put this whole timeline together, which is what helped the community piece things together and how on everything that took place. But yeah, but besides that, it helped. We also did surveys, and in those surveys, um, asking for feedback of how of how this series went, um, people mentioned how. It helped them understand what was happening because of the timeline that we published. Yeah, because all they were getting were messages from friends or, or, or things they saw on social media. So they didn't quite understand what was happening and our timeline broke it down for them in a way that, that explained what happened and how everything tied together. That's certainly what journalism is supposed to do. What kind of other things have you done from a government watchdog perspective? Um, well, well, the work we try to do, we try to hold the town accountable as much as we uh, as we can with our small team. Um, so we've been publishing investigations that Irene worked on with her fellowship, the type of investigations about um, 
the school board and the school board's use of gang contracts in Cicero. And also another investigation, um, or it was two investigations. One was um, how the town used of the COVID relief money of $100 million worth of COVID relief money to pay for police salaries uh, in this year, in 2020, like this past year in 2020. Um, and another one was how another investigation that looked into um, someone that works in the police department and how they didn't, they weren't put on, they weren't fired or they, they had um, sexual allegations against them. Um, and they weren't, none of that was taken into account or no action was taken on that, on that person. And this is the sort of thing where if you didn't exist, this stuff might not come to light, right? Exactly. Yes. Yes. And that's one thing we try to do. We want to put information out there for people to know what's happening. What have you seen from the town in the last year? Uh, in the last year, so we know that they are, I think this is probably a good thing too. Like they know we are, they're watching us now and we know that we're watching them. Um, so they'll put statements out in response to things that we publish. But it is still hard to get, like if we're trying to get comments to them, it's still hard to to get into that. Sure, certainly the challenge of being a startup, I think, uh, and essentially being somewhat disruptive uh, with organizations that probably thought that they had no uh, no watchdog, no accountability. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you What are you doing to connect with the Cicero community? Um, to connect with the Cicero community, we are. We were doing engagement work. This was more, it happened more pre-COVID um, and that kind of stopped once COVID hit. Um, we would go out into the community and talk to people. Um, but once COVID hit, um, we, we focused more on surveys and putting out surveys online. Um, and the only in-person things that we had were like when we put out the print edition and talking to people then to engage with them in our work. What's an example, a lot of what we've talked about is somewhat depressing. Um, what's an example <laughs> of some good news that you've covered? I saw, you know, for example, one piece uh, about community gardens in the, mm. in the town. Um, what are some examples of good news that you've covered? Also, like on that note too, like that's something that the community wanted too, that we know they wanted to see more community highlight stories. Um, so that's the community garden was one of them on, on elevating the voice of the people that were behind creating the the community garden and also the the struggles that they're facing to create that space but also to highlight the like the vision that they have um, so we have we do have some community highlights um there were two writers that I profiled I took their photos and I profiled them just to to show like the work they've done like they put they they published their books and that's like a big accomplishment that's exciting and one thing that actually led to it, one of the writers, um, their name is Jose Quinones, and the local library reached out to Jose and wants to put his book in the library. Oh, terrific. It's exciting. and wants to work on, on an event with, with him. And something like that seems small, but that's a big deal, certainly, mm -hmm. to, to him. I know one thing that you wanted to bring up was uh, the idea that this was originally a volunteer organization. So can you take us through the progress that it has made? Yes, so in the beginning we were volunteer run and it was just the three of us. And so we wore a lot of different hats to, to make this work. Um, but then that shifted um, because we wanted to, to, 
So we took different, we wanted to be sustainable. We wanted this to be sustainable for us as people and also as an organization. So we shifted and we wanted to, we want to work towards being a worker-led organization. So we've taken co-op education trainings here in Chicago um, to help us learn how to make decisions together and to run more cooperatively and, and take out the hierarchical structure that's that's in place in other organizations. And we've been able to fund two of us for part-time and everybody else that's contributing reporters. And that has stretched to include a lot of youth in the community to report on their, on their stories that they are interested in. Um, and right now I focus mostly on the digital side of things and visuals and Irene focuses on fundraising and operations and Encore focuses his time on, on our long-term planning. So now we have like more defined structures within, within our organization. One of the things that makes your organization somewhat distinct is you have a mentorship program. I see you have students doing artwork. You had a high school student interview a classmate for a story on mm -hmm. growing up LGBTQ. Uh, what are your mentorship programs like? Yeah, one of the, which is part of our mission is to like, is to, because everyone has different learning experience and different skill sets to provide. And we want to be able to teach other people in the community on how to interview people and how to be a journalist without the actual journalism background. So that way they can report on their own community. And I think it creates a stronger, a stronger sense of community when others in, in that live here are elevating each other, you know. Uh, and and the mentorship program, we we have a fellowship, and we don't require people to have a journalism background, and we open it up for for any type of experience levels, and we'll we provide the support as much as we can to to give them the resources they need to to further to expand their journalism skill set and report in the community. Works great because they get the experience, you get content uh, that you can put to use. What are the goals for the organization in the coming year? We plan for the half of the year, and we want to, we want to do more print editions um, to reach the audience that we don't have on the Spanish speaking audience we don't have online. Um, to continue doing the fellowship program and provide the space for for young people to create their own path and if they want a journalism career or like whatever path they want to do in this work. Um, and. Yeah, just create, eventually create a space for young people to come and like maybe, uh, you know, learn off of each other where we can provide these skill sets and have a community space where people just can just come into the space and, you know, share it with everybody. A journalism community space. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, on a personal note, you've done uh, photography, you've mentioned for this, uh, for this organization. You're doing some work for Catchlight Local 2, which is basically a photo desk collective for four different publications. Mm. You've mentioned other photogra uh, photography that you've done. What characterizes your photography and how did you develop your style? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always tried to, to when, I, when I, in the beginning, when I started in my, in my internships in photojournalism, I tried to just observe what was happening um, because it didn't feel right when I tried to pose a picture, when I wasn't taking a photograph that, did, that didn't feel natural to how the person would actually, would, would actually act like. So I, just, I tried to document what's happening in there and for the person to tell like through their actions or through 
to try to show connection with whoever else is in the picture with what they're doing in in the in the photo to connect create a connection with people whoever's seeing it to create that connection with like the viewers what's the most what's the most interesting experience you've had uh doing uh photojournalism work like oh, one story okay one story thing so i actually had one in mind this was before when i was thinking it when i wasn't thinking um photojournalism uh actually no this does tie into it i think it's not the actual photo or the picture taking that is interesting, but interacting with the people that that are from the community or that I'm photographing and being part of that space. Um, I get to know more of who they are. And I think that helps me like relay that in the photos and it comes out across, like it builds a relationship between the photographer and the person in the photo and it creates trust as well. And that's something that I like, but one story. Yeah, that I thought was like I, being there and being part of like in the community during those spaces I, I I get to like see things happen that don't get reported on and sometimes that's important you know um one instance that I, it's, it's kind of funny now uh I was photographing at a uh at a press conference for Mayor Lori Lightfoot when she was addressing the video release of Adam Toledo and outside the building there was uh, organizers and they and it was like my, it was a handful of organizers and they're on the corner and they had their like little speaker. Um, but there was this older man that was a Spanish speaker and he was talking and reading off his phone to the and so that way cars passing by can hear him and he just stopped in the middle of it. And he like looked and he's like she's leaving out the alley. Look, she's leaving out the alley. And I never went because she was supposed to come out through the front. <laughs> and I just thought that was funny. He's like, look, it, she's leaving. <laughs> But yeah, but it was in Spanish. It was funnier when it was in Spanish. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned before, to just kind of wind down here, that the three of you uh, all have other jobs that you're focusing on because you can't necessarily sustain this full time. How much time do you put into the Cicero Independiente uh, in a given week? Mm, I put into like 25 hours, 20 to 25 hours a week. So it's part time. Um, and yeah, it's part time. And Irene and I are paid right now as like part-time contractors for Cicero Independiente for the time that we put in. Sometimes right. that might fall out of the 25, but we try to pay ourselves for. What we've done a lot of interviews with people that are, um, you know, that are full-time. We've done a couple with people that are part-time. Uh, what advice would you have for someone who is trying to start something like what you're doing in, in this town? I think the advice I would have is to keep going well, at least for me because if i'm thinking about like when i was before starting any of this like i was getting comments like go back to school find a better job like you're not you're not gonna make a lot of money you're not gonna get anywhere so those comments like that and it's like if you if this is your passion and you're really passionate about this kind of work just do it and then it's gonna be hard it's gonna be a struggle but if you're passionate about it i think it's worth it all right. And what do you want to pursue in your journalism career? The main thing I want to make sure to focus is to be able to um, tell people's stories visually and also to kind of change representation and make, make people feel that they're represented in, in the media that they, that they consume or in the photos or any visuals that they consume. And also to be able to share that with with a, like that skill set with others to be able to get more people into this and, and to continue doing this work.
right? And the key is for people like you to hopefully stick around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So last question. Uh, we always ask, is there a journalism organization that you're not associated with, meaning take the Independiente out of the mix, uh, take City Bureau out of the mix? Uh, is there a journalism organization that you're not associated with that you would like to uh, give a shout out to, a salute for their good work? Yeah, I think I, I want to give a salute to The Tribe and Southside Weekly. Um, they're both organizations that construct the way media can harm their neighborhood and try to better it. And also the tribe is really unapologetic about the, about the work they publish and they make sure they serve their community and that's what matters. April Alonso, Cicero Independiente. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you. I wanna tell you about a podcast that I find interesting, Democracy in Danger. All over the world, democracy is getting turned upside down. Populism, autocratic rule, and disinformation are short-circuiting deliberation and consensus. The process is broken. The consequences dire. So what can you do about it? Join Will Hitchcock and Siva Vidyanathan on Democracy in Danger. Each week they interview brilliant guests who are helping them save government by the people, one episode at a time. The last three weeks they've done a series called Some Fine States, looking at some issues with democracy getting disrupted in Texas, Virginia, and Colorado. Find Democracy in Danger wherever you get your podcasts or visit dindanger.org. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at journalismsalute at gmail.com.